Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. encourage you. Um, we don't do any online stuff, but you can listen to the podcast. It's on literally any platform anywhere. Um, so you can look at that. It's, we've been on something called holistic habits. Now, if you were here, not last week, but two weeks ago and really want to get caught up, what we broke down is holiness and holiness. So in the, in the, a lot of the times, like if I'm like, when we read the passages, like be holy as I am holy, right? A lot of us are like, well, that's going to be real hard. That's a steep mountain to climb, right? It's like, which holy is like unique, set apart, consecrated, distinct to look at. You're just like, wow, all of those things sound incredible. However, I'm one of 8 billion, all right? But there's another definition that I've really enjoyed um, kind of breaking down, and it's this idea of holiness through the lens of W-H-O-L-L-Y. And essentially it came about when I was reading Leviticus and kind of going through Numbers and Deuteronomy is what you would find is that the, the Levitical priesthood was established on this holiness in which one of the 12 tribes essentially set apart everything that they were in order just to serve the Lord faithfully. And if you know anything about this, we have the access that that Levitical priesthood, that select few had in the Old Testament. Jesus paid for you to have that access. And I believe the holiness, W-H-O-L-L-Y, is if we create the rhythms of holiness, we will see the lifestyle developed of being a holy person. And I think, like, like I said, what, we're hyper big on practicality here. And what that means is, is we don't want to just talk about being consecrated, set apart, and distinct to look at. We want to talk about how you can get there. And we believe that that's through the habits, behaviors, patterns, and lifestyle in which we live. And so what we've been doing is we've been going through prayer. And we're not... We're not, we've been going kind of through different lenses of prayer. And so last week what I did is we broke down the foundational prayer passage in all of the Bible. Now for some of you, you guys, you're like, okay, well, what is that? I, well, if you don't know, it's the Lord's Prayer, literally called the Lord's Prayer. Like we should maybe recognize that that one's kind of the baseline prayer model. Um, but we broke that down and, and really tried to understand why it was the most important And why Jesus said, pray like this, and then recited the Lord's Prayer. So this week, though, what what my goal is, is is to introduce... See, last week we talked about prayer within the mindset of what God commanded us to pray. Now my goal this week is to introduce the thought, and the thought is this, is we're going to talk about holistic habits, prayer that's not passive. Right, Prayer that is not just comfort-driven, feeling-centric, um, focused on just almost, for lack of a better term, a narcissistic or consumeristic existence. What does it mean for our prayers to produce from the lane of power? What does it mean for our prayer not to just be for ourselves and the accumulation of more stuff, but for our prayers to permeate darkness and for our lights to be illuminated through prayer? And so what I want to do is I want to talk about that. But before I do, it's funny. I was, um, I always like, I'm a storyteller, right? Jesus was in the parables. And uh, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this and thinking about the lens of prayer and how a lot of us, we put trust in things, right? We, uh, we almost have this view of like relationships and things that we can get more out of them than a relationship of prayer and, and the father. 
And actually, I don't know if it'll be next week. I'm still like processing. But me and my wife, we're big on prayer and fasting. We pray and fast for 24 hours every single week. And so it's funny because a lot at this season, a lot of churches, it's very popular to do 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. But me and my wife now for years have developed the rhythm of prayer and fasting weekly in which we pray and believe for God to do astronomical things. And some of the very first things we prayed for was the transition to move here. A house to buy, a building God would give us, team that God would gather around us, finances that God would. And guess what? I, I can say this. He's done those things. But I want to encourage you. I think a lot of the times what we do is we put importance on things that we think will take care of us in times of trouble. And then what happens is, is God reveals that they won't take care of us in times of trouble to reveal that we need to rely on him. A few years ago, I was in a, uh, me and the homies got invited to play basketball. I was much better at basketball back then. I've gotten older and slower, but I still got a clip some days. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were, we were going up to a, a local college. We got invited to some runs with some college guys, and it was a terrible storm. Okay, but this was kind of like my, uh, my peak bro days. I had a Hummer lifted stick shift. Yo, yeah, everybody like, everybody's like, okay, all the dudes are like, okay. Like, everybody in here like, dang, I don't even drive stick shift. Don't tell your girlfriend, that's weird. Just kidding. Not, like, it's not. I'm saying you need to learn how to drive stick shift. If you leave the country, it's like what most cars are. But also, too, it is pretty sick to be able to drive stick shift, just saying. So I had a stick shift Hummer, it was lifted, and it was a crazy snowstorm. But guess what? I had a lifted Hummer, so we can go anywhere. So I was driving, I had like four dudes with me, and we were driving to this uh, basketball arena, and as we were driving there, hilarious, in Michigan, there's seven foot deep potholes. It's a joke, but it's kind of true. It's like literally asteroid craters hit the freeways and just explode. But, but we're driving, and I, I like, you try to swerve around potholes unless you drive a lifted H3 Hummer stick, because then you're just like, nothing, I'm a tank, you know? So it is terrible out, freezing, snowing, everything. It's going awful. And I, I see a pothole and I'm just like, I will be fine. I hit it. And man, I hit it. And I feel the back of my car just doof. And all of a sudden, within about five seconds, the back of my car completely falls to the ground, the back corner, and is scraping. My tire has blown off. Not just the tire, the rim, everything shot out the side. I am going down the road at about 65 in the snow, just with my entire back end, just scraping and sparking. Now, obviously, I still hooped that night. <laughs> so it's funny. It's like, it's like one of those weird things. I'm a really relational person. So I like knew a buddy who I knew had a spare car and he picked us up. And then I just drove that car. But th that's the end of the story. This part of the story is, oh, well, this really sucks. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, man, but good thing I pay for towing. Right? And I'm like, okay, at least I pay for towing, so I'll get my car towed. I know I'll have my buddy. So I find the tire, and my car is just, the back end is just, essentially what they said happened was, is my car hit a pothole so, so um, hard, that, and my lugs were a little rusty, that it literally severed every lug on the back of my car and just shot it out the side. Naturally. Like casual Tuesday night. Um, so I call my insurance company and I'm like, hey guys, I, uh, I'm on the side of the road. Um, I pay for towing. So if you could, can you, um, can you tow my car? And they said, yeah, so 
yeah, you do pay for towing. We can tow your car. It just won't be able to be towed until probably tomorrow afternoon. And it's like six o'clock on the day before that. And I said, I said, wait, did you, did you say tomorrow afternoon? Yeah, tomorrow afternoon at about six o'clock. And that's if we can get somebody, it may be longer. I said, so what am I supposed to do with my car on the side of the road right now? Well, we, you know, we can, we can only tell you that that's, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to write a note. <laughs> so I write a note. I'm like, hey, this car is going to get towed tomorrow. Just leave it. <laughs> it's a, and I like put it there. So the best part is we're driving. So we, we get picked up by a friend. I'm using that car. Later on that night, we're driving back home. Guess what? Can't find my car. What happened? Police showed up. What happened? I left my phone number. I get a call from, hey, your car was just impounded, left abandoned on the side of the road, which I'm like, oh, the police can get tow trucks. <laughs> like, oh, I can't, I can't, I, I pay for a tow truck every month, but I can't get one. But man, now uh, you guys can get them and write me a ticket. I repented. <laughs> renounce my bitterness but but here's the funny thing is is so so literally I have to then call call the impound lot pay an impound charge and then I call my insurance company they're still a day out do you think I went with that insurance company anymore absolutely not canceled that insurance got my car finally got it fixed up got it back on the road but what what why I'm telling you this story is because I was I was focused on something and I paid for something and I thought I had something that would take care of me if things went wrong. And I feel like this is the thing and, and, and it's, a, it's a little bit of a dirty secret today is that most church people, if we were to ask the question when life is going wrong and things are going bad, do we have a prayer life that can get us through? And it's, it's not, I'm not trying to get hypercritical or pointed, but what I am saying is that we are so insulated in our country to have plans and backup plans and insurances and backup insurances and, and, emergency, uh, and emergency funds and all of these things. But what happens when all of those things don't sustain? What happens when those things don't go according to plan? What happens when we realize, wow, we have to be able to stand on something other than ourselves? Because whether you realize this or not, there will come a time in your life where you have to stand on something that's not yourself and it's not the people around you. And what's sad is when we get to that point, I pray that we have the habits, the disciplines, and the lifestyle in place in which we will be able to stand. But genuinely, if we're honest, do we think we have those habits, those disciplines, and that lifestyle? To be able to stand. Because what I don't want to happen is the proverbial, our life is like the car and the tire is blown off and we are not going the direction. We are completely stopped and we have nowhere else to turn. See, the habits, the discipline, and the lifestyle is what gives you access to that power that gets you through those situations. So let's put our hope in that. Let's read if we can, because I do read the Bible, believe it or not. What I want to talk about today, and really the basis of last week, was the most important prayer that we could pray, right, as it pertained to, like, what Jesus said to pray. Literally, Jesus said, pray like this, Lord's Prayer. This one, in my opinion, has another phrase that outside of the Lord's Prayer, in my opinion, is the most important phrase that you can ever utter in a prayer life. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to read in 1 Samuel 3, chapter 1 through verse 20. And in this, we're reading about a man by the name of Samuel and another man by the name of Eli. Now, Eli is the high priest of the land in that day. If you know anything about Old Testament terminology, what that means is Eli is the holiest person on the face of the earth. He leads the children of Israel. He makes sacrifices on their behalf. He's the one who gives instruction, gives judgment, all of these different things. He is an absolute spiritual boss, but he has one problem. He has not raised up his children to follow God. Now his children, he has two sons that are supposed to be in the lineage. And what happens is, is they are not good guys. They break the commands of God. They do things that are downright just desecration to the temple. And so what God does is he raises up somebody else in their stead in order to take on that high priest role. And that guy's name is Samuel. Now Samuel's story is interesting because his mother Hannah is somebody who is, cannot have child. And she cries out to God every year in the temple for child. And then one day her prayer literally says, God, if you give me a child, I'll give him to you wholeheartedly. I will literally leave him at the temple and just give him to you. Just give me a child. And what does God do? With that heart, he gives Samuel. Now what happens is that Samuel is then raised by Eli. And as Eli is starting to to age out, Samuel is starting to grow up. Now where we're picking up right now is Samuel in his teenage years. As he's starting to kind of step into what it means to follow and hear God. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this story. It says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Right? The word of the Lord was was rare and the visions infrequent. This is a very different day than we live in right now. This is Old Testament covenant. I don't have time to go fully into this. But essentially what you need to know is, is that Eli... Whether it's through the sin he's allowing in the temple or literally the fact that his eyesight is waning is he's not getting direct revelation from God in in leading the people. So let's keep reading. It says this, it happened at the time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see all that well. I want you to focus on that just for a second because once again, visions were infrequent and his vision was fading. That's, that's where the prayer, this kind of prayer moment is starting. The vision has been infrequent and now the vision is fading of the high priest. What is God going to do? And I would challenge you in this. Some of us, this may be a season we feel that there were seasons and times where the vision from God was fervent and fiery. And our eyes were wide open with passion for what he had called us to do. But right now it doesn't feel that way. It feels like the vision is fading. It feels like the eyes are closing. But I'm telling you this, if you press in, God has something. And let's continue reading because you'll see it here. Verse, uh, let me see. Yep, verse 3. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now here's what you need to know is they had enough oil in the lamp to, to almost run through the night. But the lamp was, it was a, a wick lamp that would have on a bowl. And what they estimate is the lamp of God had not gone out. That they estimate this is right before sunrise from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. And it's important in the story as we read. It says this. Oh, I keep losing my spot, but it don't matter. Here we go. Verse four. uh, Yeah, verse three. The lamp of God had had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. And the Lord called Samuel and he said, here am I. Then he ran 
to Eli. I'm going to read this again. Then the Lord called Samuel. Here I am. Then he ran to Eli. Eli with his own priestly quarters away from the inner sanctuary is what's going on here. Samuel is sleeping in the innermost part of the temple. He's being summoned by God and he's running up and running to a person and not the person of God. Let's continue reading. It says this. Here I am for you. You called me, but he said, I did not call you. Lie down. So he went and laid down. Verse 6, the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli again and said, here I am. You called me. But he answers, I did not call you my son. Lie down. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. This is important because where did this entire thing start? It started where he was ministering to the Lord. Right? First, right in the opening, it said that, that Samuel was in the house of the Lord ministering to him. And that's a fascinating take is that you could be in the house of the Lord ministering to the Lord, but not have an interpersonal relationship in which you hear his voice. It's an interesting place to be that this guy is literally being raised up under the high priest, yet does not have the relationship intimacy to hear God and recognize when he's talking to him. Let's continue reading verse 8. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. This is the third time. Then Eli discerned the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is habitual sin that he's permitted and he's not confronted. It says this, verse, eight, verse 18. So Samuel told, or no, not in verse 18, sorry, verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then Eli, verse 16, then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more so if you hide anything from me of all the words he spoke. So Samuel told everything and hid nothing. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Verse 19, I love after the encounter what happens. Thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fail. All Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give us five things really quick. Five things. How you develop a non-passive prayer life. From this passage of scripture. How you develop a non-passive prayer life. Five quick things. The first thing is this. If you want what is rare, you must be willing to have the rare habits and frequent the rare places. Notice it said that Eli had a house in the temple, but Samuel had a bed next to the Ark of the Covenant. 
I'm going to say that again. Eli had a, had a room in the temple. But Eli had a bed on the floor next to the holiest artifact on the face of the earth. You can read in the Old Testament that people who were not pure and sinless, if they even touched this Ark of the Covenant, would die. Eli, or Samuel slept on the floor next to it. Samuel slept in the holiest place, in the rarest place. And what was it? He was called from that place. Where do you think God spoke to him? In that place. And I want to encourage you in this. This is a rare, a rare place for him to be in this insanely deep and like symbolic place. And I want to encourage you. I think a lot of us want a rare relationship with God, but we don't want to develop and cultivate places in which we have rare encounters with him. And what does that mean to you? I want to challenge you within this is I love that it says he's sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant and next to the lamp that is lit burning through the night. How many of you guys know, right? If I'm sleeping, I'm not having lights on. There's something about the symbolism of him sleeping in the inner part of the temple next to the candle that signifies the burning of incense into heaven. There is something intrinsically fascinating about the fact that this guy had a mat on the floor next to it, almost saying, I may not be hearing God, but I'm going to get as close as physically possible on this earth until I do. And see, a lot of us, we've got a God, I want to hear from you and not a God, I will hear from you and I will get in the closest spot humanly possible to receive because I want something that is rare. And so I will frequent the rare places. I'll develop the rare habits. I'll light the candles. I'll go to the altar. That will be my place. And what's sad to me is that when we, when we talk about the rare behaviors, how often are you praying and spending time with God? What does it mean to be in solitude and silence receiving and waiting to hear from him? What does it mean for you to set apart a place of holiness in which you consecrate and you frequent day after day, month after month, year after year? I have those places in my life right now. And my wife knows I have those places and I have those habits where I might be lost for an hour and a half or two hours every single day. And you don't have to start with that. But I'm going to tell you this. You have to start with finding a place that you're going to consecrate, you're going to frequent, and you're going to say, God, I will make this place rare because I want what is rare from you. And what's sad is I think what we've equated rare is, is I'll just turn the music up extra loud in my car. I'll just do sprinkle of Jesus on my phone. If you want what is rare, you must be willing to do what is rare. And I'm going to tell you this, Samuel sleeping, it said he had never heard a word from God before. He'd never heard. He'd never had a vision. But he'd ministered, he'd served, and he'd slept on the floor next to the Ark of the Covenant. And he left the light on in the room just in case. Waiting, serving, watching, leaning in, submitted to Eli, but at the same time, Willing to say what's difficult to Eli if that's what... See, this is the heart that was developed in that rare place. Rare obedience. Rare faith. Rare receptivity. No offense. If my mentors, if God gave me a word of judgment and literally their, their families are going to be wiped off the face of the earth, probably not sharing that with them. 
Even if they're like, yo, you better tell me right now. I'm like, nope. I'm good. But where we start with is this. How you develop a non-passive prayer life is if you want what is rare, you must be willing to go to the rare places and have the rare habits. You know, that's, it's funny because uh, when we launched our church, the first group we planned was 6 a.m. prayer on Tuesdays. Yeah, all the 6 a.m. prayer people are like, we're celebrating now, but when 6 a.m. comes. <laughs> what I want to say is this. Is we conditioned early on to say, God, we'll do what is rare to establish what is rare. We'll lead from what is rare to see something rare happen. And I want to encourage you. I believe all of us have a capacity for a rare relationship in this day and age. If we're willing to construct our schedules, our lifestyle, our space and our time around. The second thing is this. And I love this. Give permission to people around you to not allow you to be passive and to point you in the right direction when you don't know where to go. Three times Eli, is he runs to Eli. I love the timing of when he's running to Eli too, middle of the night. No offense, you come in my room in the middle of the night. Hey, Mike, I think I heard God. I'm locking the doors, calling the police, <laughs> taking another melatonin gummy. Not CBD, melatonin. <laughs> That's a joke for myself. I don't know. I love it because there's a depth of relationship. What's also fascinating is that if you look, it actually says that, he's, that in his first response, he says, I didn't call you. But in his second response, he says, my son, I didn't call you. And in the Hebrew, it's liter- he's literally saying he's putting him on plane with, with his sons. And he's, he's viewing him not just as a servant or a Levite in the temple, but somebody who is his son. They have such an intimate relationship that he can go to him in the night, that he can ask if he summoned him. And not only that, that Eli can point him in the direction that he now needs to go. What's sad today is that we want relationships with people that we can't run to in times of trouble. We can't count on when the storms come and they can't point us in any good direction when it's going bad. I'm going to challenge you on your relationships. If you are thinking right now, think critically about the people who when the storms come are going to be with you, but not just be with you. They're not going to let you sit through it. They're going to push you through it. Who aren't just going to push you through it, who are going to point you in a direction in which you need to go. See, Eli, Eli is an incredible example of somebody who looks and he's like, oh, God's calling you? Well, I'm the high priest. I should be the one receiving from God, not you. There could have been a territorial defensiveness that Eli possessed here, but instead it was, I love you, my son, and I want you to hear. That's the friends you should have, is that when you don't know where to go, they look at you and say, I will push you in the middle of the night because I love you and I want you to hear. I'll say this, I have friendships And the friendships I have is I will not allow myself to sit passively and I will not allow the people I love around me to sit passively. Because there is so much to a full, rich relationship with God that adds the beauty and meaning that our world so feels devoid of. May we be people who surround ourselves 
with the iron that sharpens the iron. The iron. Revelation 3.16, and I think this is, once again, I want to raise the water level, not just of the people around you, but you surrounding yourself with the people who will raise that temperature in your life. One of the most fascinating passages of Scripture is John writing to a church and essentially accusing them of being lukewarm, where God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold or I'm going to spit you out. As we develop relationship with kingdom-minded principle in which we decide we're not going to be passive and we're going to press in to hear from God, identify the people who aren't cold, but rather who are lukewarm. Because cold is easy to spot. But lukewarm, you can stomach for the most part. The third thing, and this is the most important point of all of this, speak, your servant is listening. Outside of the Lord's prayer is the most powerful posture you could ever develop in your prayer life. As prayer matures, it starts to become more about listening than it does speaking. Notice that Samuel's first encounter with God is not him pouring out his life. It's not him pouring out his complaints. It's not him asking questions. It's not him saying, God, give me more. It's none of that. It is, I'm your, your servant is listening and God speaks, not him. See, the first week, last week, I encourage you, listen to it. When we talked about the Lord's Prayer, it was what to say. The second week... Now speak, your servants listening, God. Do we have a posture in which we're even okay receiving, listening, or being present in stillness and quiet, in contemplativeness, in which he has the room to speak to us? The fourth thing. If your prayers haven't made your life more difficult, then the devil's happy with them, but God may not be. The first encounter, the first encounter he has with God is not making his life easier. The first encounter he has with God is not making him new friends. The first encounter he has with God is not building bridges calling out more glory and riches and blessing. The first encounter he has with God is will you do something that is probably the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life? Are you willing to do it? And once again, I believe that a lot of us, our prayers and the passivity behind prayer is because we're listening for things we want to hear, not things we need to hear. We're listening to things that we feel like will add to our lives and not things that will be the cross that God maybe has called you to carry. And I want to encourage you in this regard. Prayer is so much more than the comfort. It's so much more than the, the accumulation. It's so much more than just the, 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 the self being fully realized and fully lived out. Prayer is God. Speak, your servant is listening. And whatever is said, I'm obedient. Whatever you mention, whatever you breathe on, whatever the conversation looks like, God, I'm obedient to not just receive it, but to live it out. His first test in hearing from God is his sons are going to die and his memory wiped from the face of the earth. It's probably the worst thing God could have said to him at that time. 
But what happens after he walks out that difficulty? What happens when he walks out after telling? He grew in stature and wisdom. He grew in favor of man. And his name became known as a prophet throughout all lands. Why? Because he did something that most would never do. Hear from God the very first time and speak just difficulty. And once again, I think the enemy is completely okay with you saying comfortable prayers. With you just praying a super surfacey, superficial like. And, And here's the deal. I'm not saying God doesn't listen to you. But I do think that God looks down and says, man, there is so much more to me that you're missing out on. There is so much more to me that you could have. There is so much more to me that I want you to experience. I pray that you realize the depths of the communion that I want with you. You know, there is a revivalist. This is my closing story. There's a revivalist that I've always loved. His name was Evan Roberts. And as I was typing this sermon... I was reminded of his story. He was a revivalist in Wales that they say him and a friend saw over 100,000 people come to the Lord. But not only that, incited an awakening throughout Europe that reverberated through millions of people. But it said his first encounter with the Lord, they say he literally wrote this in his book, is his first encounter with the Lord was God bend me for your people. You know, what's fascinating about the revivals, I've read quite a bit on it, is they said that so many miners got saved in mines, like, like coal mines, that they wouldn't utter cuss words anymore. And so they had to literally take out the donkeys that were the coal cart people, bring in new donkeys because they would no longer use the swear word commands that would push the donkeys forward. There was such a radical conversion and sanctified reality in which they said, we will never again utter an unclean word from our lips. We'll sacrifice our livelihood, but we're going to stand on this. We want deeper God. We want more God in the coal mines. But what did it start with? Bend me for your people. Bend me. See, these are prayers when we sit here and we say, speak, your servant is listening. What does it mean for us to develop a listening rhythm, a listening lifestyle, a listening way of functioning? And then taking it a step further, God, bend me for the sake of your people. These are the prayers that I promise you Samuel prayed. And that's why we're reading about him thousands and thousands of years later. If you want what is rare, you must be willing to have rare habits and frequent rare places. Give permission to people around you to not allow you to be passive and to point you in the right direction when you don't know where to go. Speak. Your servant is listening. Outside of the Lord's prayer is the most powerful posture you can ever develop. And if your prayers haven't made your life more difficult, then the devil's happy with them. But God may not be. Let's stand to our feet. If you're familiar with Fixate, you know that I pray a prayer out of the sermon over everybody. So before we go into a time of worship and closing our service today, whatever your posture is to receive, whether that's hands open, eyes closed, whatever that is, I pray that this prayer enters into every fabric of who you are. 
Father, today, we repent of passive prayers and we long for the life of faith and communion we read of in Scripture. Teach us to develop the rare practices in order so we may have a rare relationship. Surround us with those who will not allow a passive prayer life, powerless walk with Christ, or commitment that doesn't have legs to stand on. May we develop community that mandates going deeper and won't allow the secular to be placed on the altar of our hearts instead of the sacred. Today, teach your servants to listen, to be still, to know. May we pray prayers that, may, that might make life harder and difficult, that may have cost attached, that will force us outside of our comfort zone, but also allow us to hear your voice in ways we never thought possible. May our lives today carry a spirit of constant compassion and deeper awareness of your spirit and presence. And anything less be like soap in the mouth of those who are no longer satisfied with human experience. For we long need and pursue a living God. May the candle always burn and never go out. May even when we rest, we be found in the company of the Holy of Holies. And at any moment, may you have permission to speak and also to have the absolute full confidence and assurance that your servants are listening.